You're listening to Resurrection Life Podcast with your hosts, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about updates to the Realigning Resources for Mission plan. We hear a reflection on Fortitude, and we hear a poem by Lancelot Andrews, The Dial, read by Meredith Spaulding. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. This is your host, Richard Budd, and with me as always... Father Steve. How are you, Father? Doing well. We're in this post-Christmas drab, very ordinary time. Not cold. Yeah. Warmer than usual. You can kind of go outside without a coat, but... I mean, I I do feel like if it's not going to snow... I'd rather have it be in the high 30s, low 40s. Yeah. Or 50s. I just would like some or snow. Or oh, some sun. Sun. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, yeah. I understand that. Living in... Uh, mid- we are the light. Oh, my Rich, gosh. Rich, have you not been... <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, this little light of mine is not strong enough. <laughs> For, uh, I, I've never been diagnosed, but sometimes I wonder if I've got that seasonal affective disorder where you just start getting really low energy when you, the sun isn't around. They've got. I don't know what the you know wavelengths are, but they the blue lights or something. Not not blue. I don't know if it's blue, but some of the lights that yeah, I've I seen have. Yeah, I have one of those lamps that you can put on your desk. I just okay. uh, need to pull it out of the drawer. Yeah. Actually, use it. Yeah, I mean, people who are wise who live here go to Florida <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or for at least a week or so, you yeah. know, just to get some sun or mm-hmm. someplace else. Yeah, especially if you're working in an office. Um, you don't even get that little bit of outside right, light through right, the cloud. Right. So mm-hmm. it's just hard to do in the wintertime. So uh, recently um, there has been some news. It came out first through uh, some regular communication that Bishop Boyer has through uh, an email um, list that you can sign up for. Uh, but also you mentioned it a couple of times in bulletins. That's but right, in case yeah. anybody missed any of that, yeah. um, there's a new structure that the the bishop is is moving forward with to the diocese, and um, it's going to be a little bit different than what we had originally been talking earlier in the podcast when we first yeah, started. Yeah, so this this uh, uh, is a development of uh, the bishops in consultation and in collaboration with his diocesan uh, team, a committee that he charged, uh, of which I was a part, the Realigning Resources for Mission Committee. And then also the priests and the the desire of the bishop and that committee that was a couple of years uh, uh, in work uh, was that we would figure out ways to pull, uh, I mean, to to draw on the strengths of the Holy Spirit and uh, to move all of our parishes uh, toward making more effective missionary disciples mm-hmm. to evangelize well and to form well and to, to forming a healthy parish, uh, healthy communities, uh, healthy priests, uh, all of those pillars that we talked about uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, but the bishop, after talking with the, the priests, decided that the in solidum, which was going to be kind of a corporate pastorate for each group of parishes. Ours is the Lansing North group. Uh, Originally, we had been St. 
Mary Cathedral, St. Therese, Resurrection, St. Andrew Dunlock, and St. Jude was a part of it. But after this change, uh, it's St. Andrew's, St. Therese, St. Mary Cathedral, and Resurrection. So those four are the parish group. We used to be, we used to call them groupings, Mm -hmm. but it makes more sense for us to say parish groups. Mm -hmm. Uh, In any case, um, and then we've had a structure in the diocese of vicariates, and so a, a priest would serve in each of the seven, I think it was seven vicariates uh, as the vicar. But really, the way that that was functioning was a convener of meetings and some minimal collaborative efforts pastorally. We had a collaborative support of hospital chaplaincy, mm-hmm. uh, and other areas have social um, social ministries that was collaborated. Some vicariates had uh, a common mission every other year. So there were some things happening, but uh, through consultation with the priests uh, this past summer, the bishop and uh, some committees that he formed uh, developed uh, this plan to move toward something called deaneries. Mm -hmm. And so the dean would have a responsibility that's formed in canon law, And uh, I'm just going to give you some information that the bishop shared in the email that he sent out in early January. Uh, Canon 555 of of the Code of Canon Law lays out nicely the responsibilities for a dean, he says. And these include to promote and coordinate common pastoral activity, to ensure that local clerics, that's priests and deacons, lead a life in keeping with their state, to ensure that local clerics perform their duties diligently, to ensure that religious functions are celebrated according to liturgical prescripts, to ensure that the beauty and elegance of churches and sacred furnishings are maintained carefully, especially in the Eucharistic celebration and custody of the Eucharist, to ensure that according to particular law, clerics attend lectures, theological meetings or conferences, and to take care that spiritual supports are available to presbyters, that is, priests of his district, and to show concern for those who are in difficult circumstances or beset by problems. So it's really an aid to the bishop in helping make sure that the work that he has set forth for the diocese is being uh, undertaken well and wisely and well. It seems like some of the um, role of the bishop to pastor the priest is being given to a leader priest to do some of that pastoral work among the priests themselves. Well, I think think it it definitely is a way for the bishop to delegate to us Mm -hmm. um, that kind of responsibility. And I think it also is in a, in a way that is a priest coming alongside a brother priest, a kind of an accountability toward moving toward the vision that the bishop has set for the diocese and for each individual parish and for the groups of parishes uh, within each deanery. So the way this will work is there will still be groups, yes. and then a number of groups will come together under a dean? That's right. So in the Lansing Deanery, which is uh, comprised of the Lansing North group, which is the four parishes that I listed earlier, it will also include St. Thomas and St. John's in a group, a newly formed group with St. Mary in Morris. Okay. So that's a group. And then 
uh, a group that existed prior to this change that was St. Martha's in Okemos with St. Mary's in Williamston. So those three groups uh, will be a part, will, will form the Lansing Deanery. Okay, so there'll be three groups under the deanery. Yep. Okay, and you've been asked by Bishop Boyer to be the dean of those three That's right. groups. Yep, yep. And uh, so some people wondered if I would cease being pastor. No, all of the deans will continue to be pastors of their respective parishes. And in most cases, I would suspect that they would also be a group leader of the group of which they're a part. And that's okay. probably what's going to happen. The bishop will appoint that uh, that individual. Uh, but I'm guessing that in most of those cases, especially as we get started with this process, that the dean would also be the group leader. Uh, and then he would, at, he would make recommendations for the other groups who the bishop should appoint to be the group leader of those. And the, the groups will be working on ways to collaborate uh, live in common, but also collaborate together for uh, more efficient use of, of resources. So what was the process like that the bishop, you know, went about, because there's 10 deans, correct? Mm-hmm. What was the process that he went about to select those deans? Was it just pulling names out of a hat or was no, there some he, consultation? Yeah, he set forth, uh, he and a committee that he had called together to discuss what would we do now that the, the priest basically said, uh, when we think about the insolidum uh, model, which was what was proposed by the Realigning Resources for Mission Committee, the priests realized that uh, one of the challenges they would have is that they would lose the particular relationship between uh, pastor and his flock. Mm-hmm. There wouldn't be, we would might have our usual parish, but we would be co-pastors with the other priests in the parish group uh, for all of those. And a lot of uncertainty on the part of the priests about what that might mean and and the staff, who would be their boss, who would be their current pastor, because we would all have to tender our resignation. We would be reassigned, not as pastors of everything, but we would be priests in solidum, which means we would have a corporate pastorate. Mm -hmm. So I think priests... uh, realized that uh, what we were trying to accomplish uh, would not necessarily be enhanced by the insolidum, but a revisiting of the canon law 555 saw that the vicars for reign or deans would be able to accomplish that. And so after the, the priests appealed to the bishop, basically, to say, could we consider this other model instead of us tendering a resignation and not having that continuing relationship between the par- parish priest, the, the pastor, and his people. Uh, the bishop called a group together. We discussed a variety of things. And then uh, looking at canon law, which lays out expectations uh, for deaneries, we discussed uh, and then the we made some recommendations to the bishop and then he discerned. He asked for feedback from the priest as well at the convocation. He says, we're going to move toward this um, form of structure in the diocese. Who would you recommend to be uh, dean in your... And if there's not somebody currently in your dean, deanery rather, that you would want or think would be well, would be able to well serve in that capacity, nominate somebody else who would be in another deanery that, 
that the bishop could consider. I don't think there's been any changes of, along the, that line, but the bishop did ask for feedback from that committee and then also from the priests. Okay. So for somebody that might not be uh, familiar with kind of the world that exists between a priest, uh, priest and their bishop, the, when, when a bishop wants to uh, approach you and ask you a question like this? Does he just like send you a text or like, how does that happen? Does he call you to the office or? Well, so uh, the feedback that he asked for all the priests, he sent by email and said, please, you know, uh, let me know who you would uh, recommend to be the dean of your deanery, mm-hmm. your respective deanery. We didn't give advice for other deaneries, just the one that we're a part of. And then, uh, when the bishop makes an appointment like this, he will make a phone call and uh, he'll say, "Would you be willing?" He he doesn't uh, he doesn't coerce. He mm-hmm. invites. Uh, he might you know say, "I'm not sure." He might say, "Would you please pray about it?" And okay. then uh, so it's it's he's not. I don't think forcing anyone to do this, but um, so it's not like having to go to the principal's office. No, not at all. In fact, I th- I think. My, I'm really hopeful about it. Um, I think some people were concerned that when we got rid of the insolidum method and that was all that collaboration that was going to happen, uh, nothing's going to happen as a result of it. I think this is much more likely to actually mm-hmm. be effective in moving us forward. There's going to be training for the deans, and then they're going to work uh, with their own parish group and then the other groups in their deanery. Uh, to develop a pastoral plan that conforms to that of the bishop at the mm-hmm. diocesan level. So I think we're, we're going to be talking together about how to more effectively form missionary disciples so that we will really be made for mission as, yeah. as a diocese. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think there was some, some sense of like, well, then why did, you know, did we, did we just waste years and of time and all this effort and money that you know was involved in developing these plans but the 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 work that uh, the realignment for resources team did is still effective it's That's still right. you know the the how to um, decide how to um, uh, judge a, a healthy parish right. um, the different points about what makes a healthy priest um, important ministries that would take place in a parish all these things those are still in place absolutely it's more the uh, the structure that that got tweaked and I think uh, one of the priests when we were meeting with the bishop this past summer said he had talked to uh, a brother priest in the London, Ontario diocese. And he said that the insolidum method, which is what they were using, uh, was mandated dysfunction. And mm-hmm. you can imagine all of the confusion. So who's actually in charge? You know, uh, when you've got four or perhaps five, we had five parishes. Um, so does the group leader need to be on all the finance councils Mm -hmm. because he ultimately is the one responsible. So there's a, I think this is a way to deal with that Catholic principle of subsidiarity. So the lowest level. And so what we're going to do is we're going to call beyond and we're going to also, I think principles of let's actually work together uh, and not feel like we have to all be complete one-stop shops. Mm -hmm. 
And I yeah. see us really doing things at the group level, mm-hmm. but also at the deanery level. And I think because of that way of thinking, to have cross-deanery events mm-hmm. that, that we're, we're really working in uh, strategically together. And the, the diocese is committed to scaffolding the work of the deaneries and also, especially vis-a-vis uh, forming missionary disciples, being more focused on evangelization and discipleship. Yeah, that's one of the things as uh, diocesan staff that we're actually looking forward to. Because a lot of times, uh, just to take myself as an example, uh, marriage and family life ministries, especially in smaller parishes, can kind of go by the wayside. Because there are certain ministries that are mandated, like music and um, uh, religious education. And so you got to make sure you have resources for those. And the money can dry up real quick to hire somebody to take care of marriage and family stuff. That's right. But now if you've got a grouping that's working together, or as you said, even a deanery that's working together, there are open up doors for those ministries that can sometimes, youth ministry is another one, you can kind of fall by the wayside to actually share maybe the resources it would take to hire a minister, um, to share the resources to hold events or, or, um, you know, whatever the case might be, so that we can actually serve God's people in a more holistic way um, where we might have been limited in the past. I think that's exactly right. Yep. And so I feel like uh, we're well positioned based on the the three, uh, what were they called, Uh, assemblies, Mm -hmm. the three assemblies and the work that's been done through the Realigning Resources for Mission through, I think, wise hiring at the diocese, but also, I think, increasingly at the the parish and parish school Mm -hmm. and high school level. I think we're we're well situated to take the next step forward. And this new structure, I think, is going to be an invitation. to do what we've wanted to do more effectively uh, and more efficiently. So at the par- at the level of the parish, will we see anything differently around here? Well, in the short run, uh, there's going to be initial conversations about how we as the Lansing North group will work with each other. One of the things we've already talked about doing and started doing is... Um, cross-promoting events at the various uh, parishes that Mm -hmm. are in our Lansing group. Uh, We've got some events coming up in March at both the cathedral, it's a weekend retreat, and then at St. Therese, uh, a parish mission. Mm -hmm. We will have a program for formation called Waymarks that perhaps on the next podcast we can have Sean O'Neill talk about, but we're going to be promoting that. So there's there's events that are happening. We've also been talking with uh, Father Joe Sai Kim at St. Andrew Dong Lok, uh, and they're going to be celebrating various events. And we want to be able to let people know about all of those things. So in the short run, you're going to you're going to hear more about uh, the activities of the other parishes. But I think eventually, what we want to do is. Uh, find ways to collaborate. When we hire a new position, we'll talk to each other about what are our needs, what mm-hmm. are the resources, uh, how can we be most uh, effective. We'll be also looking at um, sacramental schedules and mass times uh, just to make sure that we're making available to the 
the parishioners in our group uh, uh, a diverse time yeah. and opportunities for mass. Just recently, my wife and I, we needed, I think one of us was sick or something. We needed to find a, an alternative mass time. And every parish in the area had mass at the exact same time. Well, no, and, and we're probably not going to make it such that uh, there will be a slight modification sure. of those things. But the fact is most people want to go to mass on Sunday morning. So there aren't that many different times. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't. I know that there is a desire on some people to get it out of the way as soon as possible. They love the the Saturday afternoon mass. Oh, sure. Others would love to have a seven thirty mass. Right? No music in and out. <laughs> let's let's make a Sunday mass. No like fuss, a, no like, 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 <laughs> And uh, you know, I, I think that that does a bit of violence to the sense of mm-hmm. the Lord's Day. Yeah, but yeah. One of the things that I was thinking about when we started our Sunday evening mass is that our Lansing group would benefit from having uh, an evening mass on mm-hmm. Sunday. Yeah. I've heard some people say that they appreciate the Sunday evening mass. Yeah. Uh, one last question. I know, you know, there some people may be concerned, you know, they already see all the, the work that it takes to run a parish. Um, you're the only priest here. Yeah. Um, and now you're taking on what seems like a very large responsibility. Uh, are there any concerns that you're going to not be as available, or you're going to be tapped out? You're going to be, you know, overwhelmed, or you know, what what would you want to say to people that are concerned for you and 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 the ability that you're going to have to take care yeah. of us? It's a good question. Uh, I think that uh, the sort of work that this will entail is. Uh, something that comes relatively easily to me. Oh, I, sure. I don't. I don't feel that encouraging my brothers uh, and just helping follow up on ideas. Uh, you know, I've got a great team here at the parish. There will be some additional time commitments, but I think most of that will be, uh, you know, using. Uh, communications strategies that we've already used here mm-hmm. at the parish. So I think it would be expanding some of the things that we're doing. Um, there will be some uh, semi-annual, no, uh, uh, biannual, biannual uh, visits to the parishes. And we'll, I'll know more, much more about that after the training okay. uh, that will begin uh, later this in the spring. Uh, but I'm I'm not concerned. I think one of the benefits of, of the experience I had with healing is that I don't feel like I have to do it all. And what the Lord wants me to do is is to be faithful. And He will uh, His yoke is easy and His burden is light. So I'm not I'm not worried about yeah. my, dispositionally. I'm not someone who uh, is prone to burnout. Okay, and it doesn't mean that I'm working yeah, all the time. I, yeah, I think you make a good point that when you're working within your gifts and your charisms, yeah. burnout really doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess it could. And I'm, I'm I'm actually excited about the possibility, and I I see the benefit not just for the Lansing Deanery, but I think the bishop's uh, selection of the other deans uh, is is is. I mean, it's it's a good group. Yeah, I was very encouraged when I saw which men were chosen. So. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's good for today. Uh, any last thing that you want to say about? Uh, well, do all pray this? for me. Pray for the bishop. There is still one deanery the, the, in Flint that, uh, because of some uh, moves towards senior priest status, uh, there's some uncertainty about who 
would be asked uh, to fill that role there. So pray for that. Pray for all of the priests. Pray for the staff of, of our parish, but also every other parish and the diocesan staff that we would take this opportunity and make the most of it. Yeah. All right. For, so for another week, this is uh, Rich. And Father Steve. God bless. Have a great week. All of us experience suffering and trials in this life, as well as joys and blessings. How should we respond to the pains and ills of life in a way that is pleasing to God? In the following reflection from Sean O'Neill, we consider how the virtue of fortitude can help us bear the troubles of life with dignity, and how our response can help us grow in holiness. Fortitude. All of us experience suffering in this life. It's part of the human struggle, part of the fact that since Adam and Eve fell from grace, the human race has been plagued by misery and pain of all sorts. We suffer pain in minor ways through daily irritants, but also through tragedies which test our endurance and threaten our hope. In these recent times, all of us, whether Christian or not, have been tested in ways that we never anticipated. Our sense of being in control has been challenged, and each of us has experienced a sense of powerlessness in the face of the COVID pandemic and the ensuing lockdowns and restrictions that have left many of us frustrated and angry. The Lord sympathises with us in our sufferings. He too experienced human suffering when he was on the earth, and he weeps with us in our distress and anguish. But the Lord has to allow us to experience trials, difficult as they are, for a purpose. Many of us might consider ourselves good Catholics. We attend Mass, we go to confession, we try to be kind to our family and friends, we do good works and offer our services for the building up of the body. But many of us have varying degrees of actual virtue and fluctuating levels of surrender to the God of love. Perhaps for many of us, our religion is chiefly horizontal, that is to say, mostly to do with trying to be a good neighbour and less to do with our relationship with God. Scripture describes God as a jealous God. This does not mean, of course, that he is hypersensitive or mean, but rather that he will not allow any rivals in our lives. He made us for himself alone, and he knows that we will only find fulfilment if we give our hearts only to him. And so when he sees us straddling two camps, the world and the life of the Spirit, he knows it is not good for us. And so sometimes he allows difficulty into our lives with the purpose of encouraging us to turn to him for help. The mental anguish that many of us have suffered throughout the months of isolation are meant to drive us into the arms of our Heavenly Father. The virtue that is involved when we bear our sufferings with patience and submit ourselves to God's hand is called fortitude. Fortitude is described as strength of mind that enables a person to encounter danger or bear pain or adversity with courage. For the Christian, the virtue of fortitude 
enables someone to undergo suffering and come through it a changed person, a better, more spiritual person who is less attached to the things of this world and more surrendered to God. Fortitude draws a person further along the road to sanctity and sainthood because they are more docile to the will of God in their life. In St Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, he says this, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How can suffering ultimately produce hope? Because when we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us in baptism, we can be victorious even though outwardly we may appear to be fading away. So instead of frustratedly kicking against the goads and becoming angry and depressed, the Lord wants us to admit that we really are powerless and allow him into our lives in a new way. In reality, we have always been powerless and whatever control we thought we had over our lives has only been there because of the mercy of God. But putting ourselves into the hands of the living God is not such a fearful prospect as it sounds, because the fact is that he loves us beyond measure. We are his children and he looks down on us with an indulgent father's love. Jesus tells us as much when he urges us to ask, seek and knock. He knows that God the Father is waiting for us to pray to him so that he can grant our requests. Often the trials and sufferings and pain that we experience are allowed by God to purify us, to allow us to be more receptive and open to receive his love and to give that love to those around us. But oftentimes too we resist that purification because we prefer to be in control. Fortitude is a grace given by God that allows us to make profit from life's misfortunes. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians chapter 10, he reminds us that God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The Greek word for temptation here also means trial. And so when God allows us to undergo some trial, he always provides the grace for us to endure it. And in St. Peter's first letter, chapter 5, he exhorts us to humble ourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Humble yourself. That's a totally different message to the world's advice when we are in adversity that we should demand our rights, rebel and get even. So if we find ourselves suffering either through loneliness, ill health, anxiety, depression, financial difficulty, physical pain, unjust persecution, bereavement, persistent temptation or simply because our plans have been thwarted, Let's remember to cast all our anxieties on the Lord. Let us remember that he will never try us beyond our strength and that his grace is always at hand to help us to bear with fortitude whatever trial life offers us. All that is required of us 
is to admit our own weakness and to surrender to his hand in our lives, knowing that if he has allowed some pain to come upon us, it's for a good reason, even though we might not be able to see it at the time. How many times have we thought we were in dire straits and that unmitigated disaster had befallen us? And when we look back, we realise that if we had not experienced a little pain and suffering, then certain other blessings may never have come about. The Lord only permits suffering if a greater good can come out of it in the end. In a certain sense, sufferings are a sign of God's favour. As John Chrysostom says, God has not forgotten the man to whom he sends suffering and trials, but in this way is proving his closeness to him. And in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, we read, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He disciplines us because he wants to change us and make us perfect. If we truly desire to be holy, to become saints, we must take St. Paul's advice in Ephesians chapter 4, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That transformation can only come about if we surrender to God's sculpting hand and allow him to change us. Because of our old self, as St Paul calls it, we resist that change and so sometimes need to suffer in order to be transformed. Let's surrender to the Lord's transforming work in our lives and approach the suffering and pain that we experience with fortitude, knowing that the Lord always brings good out of apparent evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know we are weak and sinful and that we need to be transformed into saints in order to enter into heaven. Help us to see the suffering that comes to us in this life as an opportunity to enter more deeply into the mystery of your Son's death on the cross. Give us the gift of fortitude that we may bear our sufferings bravely, not complaining or getting angry as the world would have us do, but meekly submitting to your moulding hand. Amen. We finish this episode with a poem by Lancelot Andrews, The Dial, read by Meredith Spaulding. Andrews was a 16th century English bishop and scholar who held high positions in the Church of England during the reigns of Elizabeth I and James I. During the reign of James I, Andrews oversaw the translation of the King James Version of the Bible. Lancelot Andrews was perhaps the most brilliant man of his age and spoke 15 modern and six ancient languages. Andrews possessed a memory bordering on the photographic. He was also a very pious Christian who spent five hours every morning in prayer. He kept a book of private devotions, which, when it was published after his death, became a classic Anglican guide to prayer. He wrote in one of his prayers, For me, O Lord, sinning and not repenting, 
and so utterly unworthy, it were more becoming to lie prostrate before thee, and with weeping and groaning, to ask pardon for my sins, than with polluted mouth to praise thee. Andrews is still highly enough regarded in the Church of England to merit his own minor feast on the church calendar. Although Andrews never wrote literature as such, T.S. Eliot called him one of the great literary writers in English. The following poem, entitled The Dial, follows the hands of a clock round the hours of the day and supplies a prayer for each of those hours. It reiterates the constant refrain and save us and expresses complete reliance on God's mercy and help to see us through the hours of each day. It's a relatively long poem, but here is a sample. The Dial by Lancelot Andrews. Thou who hast put the time and seasons in thine own power, grant that we make our prayer unto thee in a time convenient and when thou mayest be found and save us. Thou who for us men and for our salvation was born at dead of night, give us daily to be born again by renewing of the Holy Ghost till Christ be formed in us unto a perfect man and save us. Thou who very early in the morning while the sun was yet arising didst rise from the dead, raise us up daily unto newness of life, suggesting to us ways of repentance which thyself knowest and save us. Thou who at the third hour didst send down thy Holy Ghost on the apostles, take not away the same spirit from us, but renew him daily within us and save us. Thou who hast willed the ninth hour to be an hour of prayer, hear us while we pray in the hour of prayer and make us to obtain our prayer and our desires and save us. Thou who didst vouchsafe even at the eleventh hour of the day to send men into thy vineyard and to fix a wage, notwithstanding they had stood all the day idle, do unto us like favor and, though it be late, as it were about the eleventh hour, accept us graciously when we return to thee and save us. hope you have enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelancing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at corelancing.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.